Hi, guys. I'm Travis. Hi. Good morning. I'm an elder here at Grace Church, and trust me, if you're looking up here thinking, wow, that guy's an elder here, it's at least as weird for me as it is for you. So we'll just acknowledge it, and we'll kind of keep going. My name is Travis. Today we're going to continue through the sermon series, Everything. And so I want to start by saying, you know, last week Keith preached. Next week Brad's actually going to preach. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that yet. This week it's me. Justin is on sabbatical. So we're covering this sermon series for him while he's gone. And so I want to take just a minute and say, Justin Ross, of all the sermon series to have covered during your sabbatical, well done. Everything. Hey guys, can you just cover that? I'll be back in a few weeks. So, point Justin Ross. So we're, do, we're talking about everything because our vision as a church is that we would be a group of imperfect people leveraging everything for those far from Jesus. So today, I'm just going to really focus in on that part that says we're leveraging everything. I'm not tall enough to see over my water bottle set up here. It's a grown-up sized table. So we're going to really talk about leveraging everything today. That's kind of the action part of that vision, so that's what I am going to really dive into today. So I want to start by just looking at the two words, leveraging and everything. So we'll start with the easy one, everything. So I do what any responsible, reasonable, educated adult does when they want to define something. I Googled it. You can't see the Google part of the screenshot up there. But that's how we define things now. So Google came back with two pretty good definitions for me. I don't know if you guys can read them from down there. All things. All the things in a group or a class. Okay, that's fine. I actually like the second one a whole lot better for us for today. The current situation or life in general. So if we're talking about what it looks like to leverage everything, everything. God wants everything from me. What does that mean? What does that look like? It means wherever you're at, your current situation, your life in general. If you're waiting till you feel like you've got something good, everything to offer, you need to get it a little cleaned up, get it tidied up, and then bring it to him, don't bother. It won't happen. You're never going to get to where you're good enough to have something great to offer to God. What he wants is your everything right now, your mess, the nastiness. So I'll take just a moment so you guys know I'm not just kind of making that up. I'll give you an example from my life, the time where I really came to know God the most, where I grew the closest to him, was actually right after I stated, started dating a really cute girl. I was, well, I was 17 when we started dating. I was 19, and we were unmarried when we got pregnant. And that was the time in my life where I saw God really start to say, hey, Travis, there's your way, and there's my way. And if you're willing to bring me everything, not just the things you think you can do right, if you're willing to bring me the things you know you've done wrong, then I can start to flip that. That is where I learned what redemption is, what leveraging everything really looks like, because God's not here to clean up our messes. He doesn't want to roll back the clock and pretend like nothing ever happened. He's here to say, where are you at today? And I'm going to show you where we want to go from there, because that's how he operates. He's not about cleaning up, sweeping it under the rug. He's about building something out of where you're at now. So as soon as we talk about everything, bringing everything to God, sometimes it's harder to bring him the nasty, icky stuff that we know we've already messed up. That's the more important part, I think, is that we bring him all everything, the good, the bad, the ugly. So now we get to move on to leverage. 
we're leveraging everything. So what does that look like? How do I leverage my current situation, my life in general? So leverage, we can kind of break it down three ways. There's mechanical leverage. I'm an engineer, so that's what we're going to talk about today. There's financial leverage. I'm not an accountant. We're not going to talk about that today, not at all. Then we're going to take mechanical leverage and kind of look at that parallel to spiritual leverage. If we're saying we're leveraging everything and that's what we want to be doing as followers of God, then I don't think we need to worry about the mechanical principle that much except as how it illustrates the spiritual principle of leverage. So that's where we're going. So mechanical leverage. I think we might have a picture of it. But basically, a lever is one of five simple machines. This is a concept that goes way back to the Renaissance. There's five simple machines, of which one is the lever. I think it's kind of the simplest and the neatest and the coolest. But you can see what leverage does is it takes a little small force way out on the end of a lever, pivots it somewhere not in the middle, and balances it with a large force on the end. So it means I can take a little small force on the end of a lever and have pretty big results on the other end of it. And that's mechanically what leverage does and how it works. And that's why I like it. Back to me not being able to see over the grown-up size table here. I'm not a huge person. So any tool that I can use that means I get to take what I can apply, the force I can apply to a situation and make it bigger on the other end, I'm all about that. I need that whenever I can get it. I need it mechanically. I really need it spiritually. The other thing that I just want to point out real quick, if you look at it, and it's the same picture here, different words. Spiritually, leverage is going to be my little bit of obedience with a huge push on God's plan because that's how he works. That's how he does it. It does also require that I'm not pushing directly at God's huge plan or what I might think it is. I've got to step away from it. I have to obey. I have to be when and where he wants me to be with my small task in order for it to have the effect that he's wanting it to have on his huge plan at the other end. So that's leverage kind of defined spiritually. Now we're going to dive into a scripture story. And before we do, I'm going to remember that I did not even stop to lift this up in prayer before I got started. Sorry, guys. I don't do this often. So I'm just going to take a moment here, and we're going to lift it up now. Because um, it doesn't really matter when we do it, as long as we're willing to bring it to him, right? So God, I just thank you so much. I thank you for being here among your people as we gather in your name. Um, I thank you, Holy Spirit, for being in this. Uh, we're just going to trust you to bring your message to your people this morning, that you would get me out of the way and that you would prepare the hearts and the minds of your people and bring them what you have for them this morning. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. Timing is everything. So we're going to dive into a story now. The first story that we're going to look at is in Exodus chapter 17. I tried to make sure I brought a different version than what's going to be up there. So I'm going to go to Exodus 17, and I'm just going to read verses 1 through 7. We'll give a little bit of background first. Exodus is the story of Moses bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. So the Israelites have just watched the ten plagues happen. They've walked through the Dead Sea on dry ground. They've watched Pharaoh's armies coming after them get drowned in that ocean. And now they're out in the desert. And so that's where we're going to pick it up in chapter 17, verse 1. It says, all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. 
Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, the rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So I know a lot of us have probably heard that story before. If you haven't, I still like hearing it. It's, uh, it's a fun one for me. I just think it's a neat story. Moses hits the rock and water comes out. But I also want to break it down in terms of how is leverage spiritually working for Moses at this point? So I'm going to break it down in kind of four aspects of how Moses is being leveraged in that story. I want to talk about what leverage is, what it does, what it requires, and how it grows in Moses' life. So we already talked about what leverage is. Leverage is a small force or a small act of obedience having big results. Moses hits a rock with his stick, and water comes out of it. We have two boys. We like hiking. I have seen a lot of rocks get hit with sticks. Never once have I seen water start pouring out of it as a result. I think we can take it as an indication of spiritual leverage that there's something really cool, really unexpected that happens when Moses steps out in obedience with that. What does leverage do? Leverage does real, helpful things for real people. It doesn't just, water doesn't come out so that there's water and they see that oh, well, there's water now because Moses obeyed, and that's, that's not it. That's not even the real point of the story. The point is there were a few hundred thousand really thirsty people saying, Moses, you let us out into the middle of the desert, and guess what? Now we're thirsty. What are you going to do? And Moses says, I don't know, God, what am I going to do? And he says, go hit the rock. Okay, a couple hundred thousand thirsty people. I'll go hit a rock with my walking stick. Here we go. And he does it. He goes and he hits the rock, and the water came out so that the people could drink. Moses' life was leveraged, and it had real results for real people. That's what leverage does. It does real work. What does it require? It required that he did it. I'm going to look again at verse 6. It says, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb. This is God giving instructions to Moses. And you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, and the, that the people may drink. And Moses did so. Let's pause for a moment and look at the fact that there's five verses that kind of tell the story. But really, the whole story is just God telling Moses what to do. The only part that's not God giving Moses instructions where it says, and Moses did so. That's how the story actually gets told. Moses did so. He obeyed. If we want to know what it takes, what it requires, how we become leveraged by God in our lives to have these real 
huge impacts on the people around us that we want to have, that's by obeying. That's what it requires. Finally, how does it grow? I believe that the leverage that the Lord can apply to us in our lives, how much he can extend us, how much he can translate where we're at and have it impact people in big ways other than right where we're at and what we think and know we can do is when we're living in a place of relationship with the Lord. Look at verse 4. What does Moses do when the people complain against him, when they come to him? And this isn't like Moses and his four buddies. This, it, it is hundreds of thousands of people that he's just led out of where they lived, promising them the promised land. And where are they right now? They're in the desert, and they're thirsty. And they say, Moses, we're thirsty. What are you doing? And what does Moses do with it? Moses cried out to the Lord. That's where he brought it. When he didn't know what to do, he cried out to the Lord. And what did the Lord do? Gave him a plan. It was an odd one. Go hit that rock with that stick. But it worked. It worked. Because Moses knew. He had brought enough things to the Lord. He knew when he stepped out and did whatever odd thing God had asked him to do, just because God had asked him to do it and told him that that was what was going to work, Moses did so. So there we go. There's leverage in the life of Moses. I, I, love, I love reading stories in the Bible, and I love breaking them down in terms of what happened there. So we're going to do it again now. We have that Moses example. Now we're going to flip way forward to Acts. We're going to go to Acts chapter 10. We're going to read, if I can find it here, we're going to read verses 10 to 19 in Acts chapter 10. Sorry, chapter 9. Somebody's got really sloppy handwriting. So Acts chapter 9, verse 10. When I say we're going to read it, I mean... I'm going to stand up here and read it. You can listen, you can read it, do whatever you want. So again, a little bit of context for this story. Um, we're going to pick it up where a guy named Ananias gets some instructions from the Lord to go heal Saul. Saul, was a guy, he was a pretty conservative Jew for his day. We could call him a pretty hardcore right winger if we want to. Might not be appropriate, but we could. So Saul was a conservative Jew in his day, okay? And he did not like his boat being rocked. And when Jesus showed up on the scene and started to change things, Saul was not on board with that. He was actively persecuting people who believed in Jesus at this point in time. He was on his way, taking a trip from Jerusalem to Damascus to arrest Christians. That's what he was doing. And so I'm going to pick up the story in verse 10. When Saul has been struck blind by the Lord on his way to Damascus, he's there. God comes to Ananias, one of the believers that lives in Damascus. And now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise, 
And go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he's seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. another cool I just I love scripture I love sometimes the weird little things that happen why did something like scales fall off his eyes there's probably a reason I don't know what it is what I know is that God came gave Ananias a task Ananias did it and we got to see some really cool results from that so we're going to break it down a little further than that again into leverage and what leverage is what it does what it requires and how it grows so leverage is, leverage is still God taking a small act of obedience, a little push on the end, and turning it into some big results somewhere else. He says, Ananias, go and heal Saul. Not only is Saul healed, maybe Ananias was a doctor, maybe he knew to take the, the scales off, I don't know. I don't think so. Regardless, totally regardless of the fact that Saul was physically healed in that moment, Let's look at the spiritual healing that happened for Saul of Tarsus on this trip to Damascus. He went from persecuting the church to being one of the foremost advocates, one of the most prolific writers and missionaries that the world has ever seen. I don't know if you guys know this, but once we get past Acts, the whole, the whole bunch of books right at the end of the Bible are actually letters that Paul wrote to churches and people all over his region, right after this encounter. This is where Saul had a come-to-Jesus moment, realized who God intended him to be and what was going on, and it's because Ananias was willing to step out in obedience with it. So again, a small push by Ananias, big results coming from God. What does it do? It still does real work. I may have belittled it a little bit. There is still some real physical healing that Saul got to experience because Ananias was willing to step out and obey. What does it require? It still requires some obedience. And so for that, I really want to take a hard look for us at verse 17. I'll jump right back to it in a minute because let's pause again and remember. God comes and he says, Ananias... I want you to go and pray for Saul. And Ananias says, God, do you know who Saul is? He's not a nice guy. He's here to arrest and persecute me, my family, everybody else who believes in Jesus. That's what he's here to do. I don't really know if I want to go pray for that guy. But Ananias does. Not only that, the first words that Ananias says to Saul of Tarsus, who's here to arrest Christians, brother Saul the Lord Jesus. 
He walks into the room of the guy who's there to arrest Christians. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, is his opener. That's a brave opener for the guy who's there to persecute him because he believes in Jesus, right? Like, not only is he implying that Saul is his brother in all of this, he's also making it explicitly clear why Ananias is there. The Lord Jesus sent me to you. I know you're here to persecute me because I would say that. So, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has sent me to you. That's some blunt obedience, right? Like, go Ananias, because I would have probably tried to soften that a little bit, and I'm glad that Ananias didn't. Finally, where does it grow? How did Ananias get to this point where he was willing to obey that way, where he was willing to go to Saul, the persecutor of Christians, and say, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has sent me to you? I want to take a look at a couple of quick verses real quick. Verse 10, when the Lord comes to Ananias and he says to him, Ananias, Ananias says, here I am, Lord. Here I am. He didn't say, here am I, send me. That's the bonus points answer. He did say, here I am, God. I'm here, I'm yours. What have you got for me? That was Ananias' response to the Lord calling him. And then God tells him, I want you to go pray for Saul of Tarsus. And then we see the beginning of verse 13, then Ananias answered. And I actually love, I love that part of it. Because it tells me not only did Ananias trust God enough to obey him, not only did he trust God enough to go do what he was asking, he trusted God enough to be vulnerable with him. Then Ananias answered. He said, God, you know who Saul is, right? This is scary. This seems ridiculous. I don't know if this is a good idea. He was willing to be honest with God. Imagine that. Like Ananias got to be used hugely And when God said, hey, Ananias, go do this thing that seems crazy, Ananias was willing to say, God, that seems crazy. Are you sure about this? Sometimes I think we feel like we can't be honest with him. We can't tell him when we don't like the plan. I don't think that's true. I don't think Ananias thought that was true. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard about this guy. He's a bad dude. He's here to arrest and imprison and punish us loving you. I love that Ananias was willing to say that, and I think that his honest relationship with God was why he was in a place to be used like that, to be leveraged like that, to be given a task that didn't make sense. Yeah, I know. Go and heal him, because I have called him to go be my vessel and to bring my name. And Ananias was willing, and he went. That's Ananias' story. That's him being leveraged, and I love it. And now, that's our couple of stories that we're going to walk through real quick, but I do also just have a quick verse for each of those points, what leverage is, what it does, what it requires, and how it grows. Okay, so we're going to roll through the quick verses here. Leverage is, leverage is still my small push being turned into something bigger and something better than what I'm able to do on my own. So we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, 
To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. That is obviously more than we could ask or imagine, right? That is God doing more by us than what we're able to do. Leverage does. It does real work that affects real people. We're going to go back a chapter to chapter 2, Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That tells me that God's desire is that we are getting some stuff done in him, by him, for him. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has already prepared beforehand for us to walk in. He's already got plans. He already knows what ridiculous thing he's going to ask you to do. And he's already paved the way for it. It requires some obedience and some trust. Flip back to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. It's some trust. It's saying, God, I don't know the plan. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to get done what I need to get done right now, but I'm going to trust that you can do it. I'm going to not lean on me figuring it out, because I've done that, and it's not usually that awesome. A couple other people have done that, too. Thanks, guys. Finally, what does leverage require? It still requires. No, we're not going to go back to requires. We're going to move on to how it grows. How does leverage grow in our lives? It still grows from that place of relationship, of being just in him and with him. And if I can find James, we'll read it. only I had post-it notes. We'll get there, guys. Patience. James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. If I want to know, if we want to know what it takes to really grow in being extended for the Lord and being leveraged for the Lord in seeing our little acts of obedience of being asked to do something difficult and to see it really grow and have results for the people around us, it looks like walking with him. It looks like learning what that looks like day by day by day. And the way that we do that, if I want to grow in my relationship with my wife, I better spend some time with her. I better have some conversation with her. I better tell her what I got going on, and I better listen to what's going on with her. That's how I grow in a relationship. If I want to grow in my walk with the Lord, in my relationship with the Lord, I better spend some time with her. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. If you want to be empowered by the Lord, spend some time with her. So that's it. I've gone through all my notes now. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you walking through it with me. I had fun. I hope you had fun. It's a little nerve-wracking being up here, I'll be honest. So thank you. <laughs>